The 14th century English mystic Julian of Norwich has been talked about by people in many different ways, but first and foremost, she's the author of an extraordinary text, The Revelations, which is the earliest known text authored by a woman in English. Personally, she has been a friend and companion in my Christian life for over 30 years. I'm the Reverend David Simmons, Episcopal priest and oblate in the Order of Julian of Norwich. Thank you for joining me as we read and pray through the works of this extraordinary woman of faith and explore what she has to teach us about God's love. Good morning, all, and welcome to Chapter Eleven of Love Was His Meeting, re meaning reading and playing, uh, reading and praying with Julian of Norwich. Uh, if you want to join together in the short office we use to begin and end this, uh, you can find that in the description down below the episode on either the audio podcast or on the video live stream. I was glad when they said to me, "Let us go to the house of the Lord." Let's say together Psalm 84. How dear to me is your dwelling, O Lord of hosts! My soul has a desire and longing for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh rejoice in the living God. The sparrow has found her a house, and the swallow a nest where she may lay her young. By the side of your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Happy are they who dwell in your house. They will always be praising you. Happy are the people whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on the pilgrim's way. Those who go through the desolate valley will find it a place of springs, for the early rains have covered it with pools of water. They will climb from height to height, and the God of gods will reveal himself in Zion. Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Hearken, O God of Jacob. Behold our defender, O God, and look upon the face of your anointed. For one day in your courts is better than a thousand in my own room, and to stand at the threshold of the house of my God, than to dwell at the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is both sun and shield. He will give grace and glory. No good thing will the Lord withhold from those who walk with integrity. O Lord of hosts, happy are they who put their trust in you. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Beloved, we are indeed in chapter 11 of the uh, the Revelations. Um, this is the third showing, so uh, seeing as God the Creator in a point. And I've got a reference over here on the wall for all the different uh, showings. So uh, we moved rapidly from the second showing until the third here. And after this, I saw God in a point, that is to say in my mind, by which vision I understood that He is in all things. I gazed with deliberation, seeing and knowing in that vision that he does all that is done. I marveled at that sight with a gentle trepidation and thought, What is sin? For I saw truly that God does everything no matter how little, and I saw truly that nothing is done by luck or by chance, but everything by the foreseeing wisdom of God. If it is luck or chance in the sight of man, our blindness and our lack of foresight is the cause, for the things that are in the foreseeing wisdom of God from without beginning, which rightfully and honorably and constantly he leads to the best end as they come about, happen to us without warning, ourselves unaware, and thus by our blindness and our lack of foresight, 
we say those are luck and chance. But to our Lord God they are not so. Wherefore, it is necessary for me to concede that everything that is done, it is well done. For our Lord God does all. For at this time the action of creatures was not shown, but of our Lord God in the creature. He is in the redemption. He is, he is in the midpoint of everything, and he does everything, and I was certain he does no sin. And here I saw truthfully that sin is no deed. For in all this revelation sin was not shown. And I wished no longer to wonder at this, but I looked to our Lord for what he wished to show, and thus, in so far as could be shown for the present, the rightfulness of God's action was shown to the soul. Rightfulness has two fair qualities. It is right, and it is full. And so are all the actions of our Lord God, and to them is lacking neither the working of mercy nor of grace, for it is all right full, in which nothing is wanting. And at a different time he made a showing in order for me to see sin nakedly, as I shall say later, where he uses the working of mercy and grace. This vision was shown to my understanding, for our Lord wished to have the soul turned truly unto the beholding of him, and generally of all his works, for they are most good, and all his judgments are comfortable and gracious, and they bring to great comfort the soul which is turned from paying attention to the blind judgment of man, to the fair, gracious judgment of our Lord God. A man looks upon some deeds as well done, and some deeds as evil, but our Lord does not look upon them so, for just as all that is being in nature is of God's creating, so everything that is done is the character of God's doing. It is easy to understand that the best deed is well done, but just as well as the best and most exalted deed is done, so well is the least deed done, and in all the character, and in the order in which our Lord has it ordained from without beginning, for there is no doer but he. I saw full certainly that he never changes his purpose in everything, nor ever shall without end. There was nothing unknown to him in his rightful ordering from without beginning, and therefore everything was set in order before anything was created, just as it would stand without end, and no manner of thing shall fall short of that mark. He made everything in fullness of goodness, and therefore the Blessed Trinity is always completely pleased with all his works. And all this he showed most blessedly, meaning this, See, I am God. See, I am in everything. See, I do everything. See, I never list, lift my hands from my works, nor ever shall without end. See, I lead everything to the end I ordained for it from without beginning, by the same power, wisdom, and love with which I made it. How would anything be amiss? Thus powerfully, wisely, and lovingly was the soul tested in this vision. Then I saw truthfully that it was appropriate that I needs must assent with great reverence, rejoicing in God. So, beloved, we have several things going on here in chapter 11. The first, of course, is the, the vision that she has and then has the understanding of what that vision means. God in a point. So, God, uh, this is a point in, in space as opposed to a point in time. So, uh, seeing God, you know, and then some. you think back to the, the hazelnut, the idea that everything that's created is in this hazelnut. 
well, God is in this point, this infinitesimal point. You know, you can think in terms, some commentators talk about like the point that the Big Bang or, uh, came from or the way that we talk about a point as being having no actual size in, in mathematics. It's, it's that kind of a vision that God is so tiny and so everything at the same time. And gazing with deliberation, she knew that he does all that is done. So this this is uh, kind of a, a tricky part of this, and it bears a lot of thought. So everything, you know, she says, everything that is done, it is well done. Uh, not only the best deed, but the worst deed. So, well, it's easy. She says it's easy to understand that the best deed is done well, but so well is the last deed done. So this idea that, God is the doer. I'm going to read, uh, this is another uh, translation. Actually, it's an interesting one. It's uh, Ellen Sana. I don't recommend it as a primary translation because it's it's more of a paraphrase because uh, she t uses a lot of, um, of uh, poetic license. Uh, but some of those poetic licenses are really nice. So um, when she gets to this, she says, God is the only verb, the symbol, symbol, I'm sorry, God is the only verb, the single action, that moves through every human and earthly deed. The problem with that, um, of course, is then she asks the question, well, then what is sin? Uh, if, if God does everything and everything is done well, and at the end all is made well, uh, and all of these actions are, are taken into, into account, what is sin? Uh, and she'll talk more about sin later on, uh, but basically that sin is nothing is basically what she says. It's the absence of, of everything else. It's uh, Thomas Aquinas kind of, kind of comes up with this idea that God is the, uh, that sin is the absence of God as opposed to something that's concrete. So she's kind of working within this context of, uh, uh, of, of um, Aquinas and, and Augustine's uh, theology, um, that, that sin really is nothing. And she says, God does no sin. Uh, Sin is no deed, and uh, commentators are uh, generally point out that the the sin when she's talking about this, she's talking about that that sin, that God, sin is not a deed of God. It doesn't mean that we can't sin. It doesn't mean that that we don't fall short. It just means that that God is not part of that sinful. Uh, God is not part of that sinfulness. And she talks about rightfulness, and I, the the old English word here. Uh, since I'm reading through the old English, also uh, attempting to read through the old English, I believe it's a it's a beautiful, it's an interesting word. It's um, tra it's originally, I believe, rightfulahede or rightfulahede, um, but this rightfulness, this idea of this rightness, this perfection, and this justice, um, this um, rightfulness of God is right. And it is full. I mean, that's rightfulness. It's right and it's full. And none of them are lacking. Uh, and they are right. So um, I talked a little bit about a man looks on some deeds as well done and some deeds as evil. But our Lord does not look upon them so. Um, and that has to do with perspective. I mean, I think that's the way that this is, this is looking at it is we become very obsessed with the things that are going on in our lives, and rightfully so, because it's the sphere of influence that we're we're in. You know, we we can only live inside the world that, that we currently inhabit, and so both our sins and other people's sins are magnified. Uh, and how bad some things are, as far as what people do, is magnified. Um, but it's a different 
perspective for God in which at the end all things are made well. Uh, so I, I want to be careful here not to say this means that none of it matters because it certainly does. Um, one of the interesting things about um, working with the Order Julian of Norwich as, the, as a confessor is uh, when I first took this job, I asked the guy who was the previous confessor to the Order of Julian, uh, what's it, what is it like to hear confessions from monastics? And he said, it's like being pelted to death with ping pong balls. Um, uh, that's a little bit dismissive, but the truth is, we all have our own contexts, and in the context of a monastery, uh, it is so steeped in prayer and so steeped in reading um, sacred scripture and such that the smallest thing echoes. It's like an echo chamber for sin. The smallest thing, the smallest wrong thought echoes in a way that you and I would probably ignore uh, because we're surrounded by, uh, we're not steeped in that on a regular basis. So each person's world that they inhabit is very important. But what Julian is saying here is in the broadest picture, in the broadest picture of God's creation, many of the things that we think, especially about ourselves, that are we think are the worst will simply be absorbed by God's overwhelming goodness uh, as part of God's plan. Um, some people talk about there being a what's called a single predestination um, in Julian, a single as opposed to double predestination. Double predestination is everybody is is um, predestined to either go to heaven or hell, and it doesn't really matter what you do. Or that's how some people talk about double predestination. Single predestination just simply means that um, things are known by God and that the outcome uh, will be according to God's will. Uh, and so that's kind of what she's working with here. She's also not a systematic theologian. I would say she's a fantastic theologian, but it, she her method is not to tie up all the loose ends intellectually. She's not scholastic from that perspective. So she's affirming this idea of the overwhelming goodness of God and the fact that God will make all things well. Uh, even if that causes all sorts of questions about, well, gosh, if everything is good and everything's done well, then where does sin come from and what does sin do and how does that? She's not really interested in tying up all those answers for us. Um, she's very good at holding tensions, which I think in some ways is a much more healthy way to think about theology. Because once you start tying up ends, you become pretty sure of your own reasoning. Um, and then at some point, God is going to throw you a curveball uh, that that doesn't fit a really strict um, theology. Um, and then uh, the last thing I wanted to talk about uh, today is uh, this kind of last kind of praise song or, or, or a stanza, the see I am God, see I am in everything, see I do everything, see I never lift my hands from my works and never shall without end. Um, it's, a, it's a beautiful little stanza there. And what it made me think of immediately was there's a, a spiritual that our choir sings sometimes at, at the church. Um, he is King of Kings. He is Lord of Lords. Jesus Christ, the first and last. No one works like him. I always loved that phrase, no one works like him. Um, sometimes we become obsessed with work, uh, and that is something that we have to um, to, to guide against. God also wishes us to re rest and recreate. Uh, that mean, literally means recreate. Uh, it's really important that we get the rest that we need. But this idea that God is constantly working, um, not, this isn't like being in an office or something, but this idea that God isn't, didn't just set everything up as some sort of eternal clockmaker and then, and then turns the switch and everything just works and God is not in there. God is 
there. I mean, if you think back to Julian's earlier thing about God is in everything. God is even in, gosh, her her, her example was God is even in, in, in our going to the bathroom. God is in everything. God continually works. God continually recreates. God is continually in the work of, make, of bringing things towards God's end. And I think that's a, a really important thing to remember is that God is not remote, that God is in every part of our being. God is in everything, as she says in some part here. I don't think this gets into panentheism, which is what some people try to push it towards, where God is literally kind of a Eastern religious concept of God being in everything. But the way that she talks about, or God is everything, God is in everything, that the presence of God through the Holy Spirit suffuses all of creation and moves it towards the end that God wishes. So that's it for chapter 11. We'll move on with chapter 12 next time. And we will continue with the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. I bid your prayers and intercessions at this time. I bid your prayers for the people on our parish prayer list. Let us say together, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. Let us pray. Most holy Lord, the ground of our beseeching, who through your servant St. Julian revealed the wonder of your love, grant that as we are created in your nature and restored by your grace, our wills may be so made one with yours that we may come to see you face to face and gaze on you forever, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, good to have you with us on uh, Love Was His Meaning this morning, chapter 11. Uh, we'll be back with chapter 12 next time. Uh, as we're facing uh, spikes in COVID numbers currently, I encourage all of you, uh, go ahead and make sure if you're vaccinated to get your booster. Uh, wear a face mask in public when you can. Do everything you can to help uh, keep our emergency rooms uh, and ICUs uh, free of people with COVID in order that the, the people uh, who have other conditions can make it in when they need to. Uh, this is a time where doing some very simple things really can show how we love our neighbor. Uh, so keep yourself safe. Um, until I see you again, God bless. Thank you for joining me for Love Was His Meaning today. This podcast is generally available twice a week on Tuesdays and Thursdays. The text of Julian's Revelations used in this podcast is The Complete Julian by Father John Julian Swanson OJN and is used by permission of the Order of Julian of Norwich. 
The theme music is Julian of Norwich by Bombadil and is used under license.